Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you think Everton fans still have faith in you and your decisions? Well, I hope so. You know, I put my money where my mouth is and, you know, that is most that an owner can do. And I've done that. And some of the decision we've taken is together with the fans, right? All the managers who've been left have been driven by the fans, not by me initially. And I think you've got to stay with the manager. Do you still have faith in your board? Many Everton fans have been asking for you to, to dismiss them, to sack them. Look, I think they've been there for a long time. You know, some are new appointments, but uh, they're long-standing, they're dedicated, they're local. And those are the roots, the roots of the club. They love the club. And it's just building a £760 million stadium, one of the best in the country, is an enormous challenge for a club. So I think they need to acknowledge that they're going through a transformation. And... And they are working extremely hard. And But, you know, you can't just take rash decisions. We have two big games, Saturday and on the 21st. That's the only focus. Hello, Evertonians. This is the Toffee Web Podcast, back for our second instalment of the week with an almost full house of contributors and a circus to talk about at Everton, where Farhad Mashiri now appears to be completely out of touch with what supporters want, although he could get a strong message from the stands at Goodison Park this Saturday, where a sit-in protest is planned after the game against Southampton. Adam, L, Paul and myself will get into the owner's letter to the fans forum, his utterly misguided call with Jim White and the visit of Saints in a bit. But earlier today, Paul and I spoke with Zach Threlfall of the NS Now campaign to get his thoughts on Mashiri, the board and what the campaign's aims are. 
We're delighted to be joined by Zach Threlfall from NS Now, the group formerly known as the 27 Campaign, and who I'm sure most blues, and particularly Toffee Web readers and listeners, know about already. Uh, we cross-post Paul the Esk's blogs, articles to the site, uh, because Toffee Web has and always will be focused not only on the club's history, but also its governance and performance at a business level, even during times when some fans feel it's irrelevant. And Paul has been a leading critic of the way the club is currently being run and an agitator for change. But we were keen to get Zach on to the podcast because he provides a fresh face to the movement, apart from the ESC, who, of course, has his own podcast and has been featured on a number of other pods recently. Uh, so, Zach, thanks very much for coming on. And first off, Everton aside, how are you? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, all good. It's been uh, it's been an interesting few, well, interesting week, really, since... Um, since you released the letter, and, and I don't feel like much of my life has been Everton aside, which is <laughs> some you know it would be lovely to say it was nice, but it's uh, it's been a, a bit of a, a slog of a week. But you know we're here, and we're going, we're, we're cracking on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those who don't know what the campaign is, or for those who want to hear it straight from one of the horses' mouths, so to speak, uh, Zach, tell us what NS now is, how it started, and what its principal aims are. Yeah, so NS Now is, uh, as you mentioned, it was formerly the 27 campaign, which obviously got a lot of attention last year for, for things they were doing and, and trying to bring about a better um, a, a better winning Everton, basically. Um, we decided recently, just before Christmas, to do a sort of rebrand, mainly because um, obviously we've, we've been the 27 years campaign and it obviously now we're out of the uh, FA Cup, it would be 28 years and, and you just couldn't, it was going to be hard to just carry that on and, and change it every year. It'd be a bit of a nightmare. So we decided to come up with a fresher name um, and it literally came about by looking at what, you know, like you're saying when you're asking what, what do we want, it's what we feel every Everton fan should or, or does want, which is the best Everton that we can possibly have um, you know, I would, I, I want to see Everton, and I'm not saying next year, but I want to see Everton challenging for titles. And you know, we, we've all got mates who will be Liverpool fans, and you see them going on Champions League final nights and challenging at the top of the table, and and it's you want a bit of that, and that's what NS and NS now was brought out of, which was NSNO and now, and we want literally what is on the crest. It's on the crest of the club that nothing but the best is good enough, yet we don't act in that way whatsoever, ever. You know, there's very few occasions where you can say that was absolutely the best that this club could have done, especially over the last, you know, probably 10 years, 20 years, however long you want to go back. I'm 29 on Saturday and, and I can't really remember any of these good times that Mr. Kenwright likes to say that we've had they've always been marred by something it's you know we have we have a good season like i've said on another pod you know we we have a good you know we started really well under under uh, ancelotti we're top of the table and, and spirit of the blues is is number one in the charts and all this sort of stuff and we finished 10th or we have a great season under martinez and we have no money to spend all we can do is bring in the loan players on on um permanent transfers and the next season it, we just couldn't build on it there's always something that it just as much as there might be fleeting moments of happiness with Everton it, it always comes crashing back down and what we're you know pushing for is to cha change the culture I think is, is the main the big one is to change that culture of we, we don't want to just settle for good times anymore we want the best times we want we want to be 
you know, lay a foundation and and have a pathway towards those those high heights again that we've we've been there before. You know, we so people will forget not Evertonians, but people outside of the club will forget that you know we're nine time nine time league champions. Like we're not just some yo yo club that goes up and down the leagues every year. We 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 were top of this game for different periods in our in our history, and we want to get there again. Yeah, Falstow and FC. <laughs> I guess your 29th, uh, 29th birthday will be a memorable one, hopefully for the right reasons on the pitch. And, uh, yeah, I'm obviously, but, so. yeah, but mem- <laughs> memorable off the pitch, obviously, with the process. For you say about the uh, the 27 years campaigns, if it, I guess it would have applied its own pressure of, of it on its own if it just kept on going 28 years, 29 years. But you're right, and that yeah. obviously wasn't probably a sustainable message, and hopefully it wouldn't have gone on for how long would that, how many years yeah, that would yeah, end up being before <laughs> finally um, it's it's finally fixed. And yeah, you mentioned like Carl Ancelotti, yeah, I remember that, that, that strikes me as one of the failures of that time was that like we were, were we second on Boxing Day? And uh, yeah. if they just invested in a, you know, spent a little bit of money on a player or two there, probably would have almost certainly, I think, been in Europe, maybe Champions League, you know, and it's, it's failures like that, I presume, I, I think that you're talking about, we're not just talking about an isolated mm. incident, it's ongoing instances no. where they make the wrong decisions is probably, I think, what so many of us are sort of frustrated at, frustrated about, and um, that's uh, that's um, probably what this all stems down to coming into Saturday. Speaking of frustrations, were you as frustrated as all hearing from Jim White uh, or Farmer mm. Rashevi today? I think it's it's nearly a year to the day someone said since he, he went on with Jim White. It could have been a bit longer, actually. I can't remember. And said, Jim, I will not be coming back on here because I'm going to make sure that we do this the right way and I go through the channels and all this sort of stuff. And we probably, I think we, we, had, we had two open letters and then the one yesterday. And that's it. There's been no... No, if you wanted to talk, as far as... I don't know if you've seen the tweet from Alan Meyer saying that he didn't even tell the club he was doing it. I, you know, trust Alan's sources on that because he's, he's not normally someone to just tweet with with no backup to it. Um, it just... It, it blows my mind. He could have easily sat down from wherever he was. You know, like we're doing right now, we can sit and talk from wherever we are in the world and yeah. put it out on... Everton fan TV or Everton TV or he could have spoke to anyone but he just reverts back to old habits goes back to the, the Jim White the, the classic thing that he's done before and I, I just it blows my mind because it's, it's not like it's ever gone well for him it's there's not been a single time he's spoken <laughs> yeah. to Jim and we've all gone do you know what I'm so glad he did that that was brilliant <laughs> it was, it's always been bad so I don't understand why he always reverts back to it you even go back to when he said um was it McCarthy that we kept on the last day of the transfer window and he said we didn't want to sell him because he was part of the family but we'd been actively trying to it was clearly obvious we were trying to buy Sissoko and he just had the phone put down on him or whatever and he just brought out all this guff and I mean that was probably the start of where all of this that was like a warning sign and and Jim and Farhad's relationship since then has been nothing but a a stain really on on his time at Everton Yeah, so specifically what he said in the um, letter back to the fans forum and then he obviously doubled down on it uh, with with Jim White, I mean what, what did you make of his specific claims about you know the, the makeup of the board, the quality of the board, the the work that's being done at Everton. I mean, clearly the uh, the, the fans have a have a very different opinion to what Farhad has. Yeah, I think it, it's it's interesting because you look at two ways. He either he's either not 
I'm pretty sure a lot of people will probably sign on this. He's probably not written the letter and it's been written for him and he signed off on it. And, you know, that's the feeling within the club is what's been written in there that, you know, we're wonderful and there's nothing wrong. And, um, yeah. and, and maybe he believes it and maybe he doesn't, and maybe he just doesn't care anymore. And, and, and he's sat wherever he is thinking he's got lots of other things to worry about rather than this, this club in Liverpool that has burnt a hole in his pocket, basically for the best part of eight years or whatever it is now. Um, so that, you know, you can look at it that way and think he, he might just not care. The other possibly more worrying way of looking at it is that he actually believes that and he doesn't see yeah. you know I would, I've said before I would just like to sit in front of him and say here's the lead table here's the last few accounts how can you say that this is a functioning football sporting competitive club or a functioning business it's not like we can say alright things aren't going well on the pitch but at least commercially we're bringing out all these brilliant deals and we're doing this and the only thing that they can ever point to is the stadium and look the stadium is wonderful it's going up it looks amazing brilliant but I, I don't want to be playing championship football there and if that I would rather that wasn't there and we had a functioning football club that was competitive on the pitch and off the pitch and we had to figure out a stadium later down the road than keep pointing to the stadium as just this only beacon of light as though it, it feels like they think that the minute we, we walk on that pitch, it's going to be some way blessed and all these players are just going to be wonderful all of a sudden and all the problems <laughs> will go away yeah. and we'll win the league. It just, it's, it, it blows my mind that that's how, it, like I say, it's worrying either way. He either doesn't care, which is, you know, possibly worse because then you're leaving it just to the board to decide on everything that's going on and we've all got opinions right. on different members right. of the board but they've shown for a long time if they are making the decisions they're not very good ones or like I say he does care and he believes it and that's just as worrying Do you have a um, do you have an idea what and putting you on the spot a little bit well, I suppose the answer would be like I'd rather he didn't speak at all if he's going to come out speaking to Jim White. But like, what was the uh, what would you have wanted him to say today? I think, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one because I think I've spoke I spoke when I was on Toffee TV the other week about uh, accountability and the fact that it doesn't feel like the board or the owner ever take criticism or, or anything very well. We've heard Alan Stubbs, who's obviously back the campaign today, speak about speaking out against the board and being as petty as having his tickets taken away. Like it's as though that's actually going to affect him. He, he can just buy a ticket, but it's the principle of it. It's it's just yeah. besides yeah. a former captain of the club, to me, any any player captain, even if Royston Drent they want to come back, he can come back and go to the game, he was a, he, he wore that shirt at some point for us. Um, and I think if he'd come out today, taken some accountability and said, look, we understand, Not like, like I said in the summer, none of us want to be in this position again. Unfortunately, we are. If he maybe gave some explanations as to what, you know, why does he feel like we're in this position? Is, is it, you know, I know he does back the manager a little bit in this, which I... I find baffling because I feel like he's only, I think we all feel like he might only be one or two bad results away from not being in that job anymore. So if he's publicly backed him now, although in a short, very small snippet, and then sacks him in two weeks, he again just looks, it, it doesn't look great on him. Um, but if he'd come out and said, 
you know, this is why we think we're in this position. And this is, I'm not asking for details of what everyone's going to do minute by minute, but if he came out and said, this is our plan, this is how we think we're going to get out of this, we're going to sign this player, not player, but we're going to sign this position. We know we need this. This is how we're going to play. We're looking to play this way. Yeah, this this year we're just going to take points where we can get them as fast as we can. We're going to be dogged and horrible to play against. And then next year, we're in the summer, we're going to do this, this. And if there was some formulation of a plan of action that you could get behind and say, I mean, it wouldn't turn everyone and people would still pick holes in it and all that sort of stuff. But I think a lot of people, it would actually have calmed them down. I'm going to write this guy. It looks like he knows what he's doing or someone, whoever writes it looks like they know what they're doing. Great. Let's try and get behind the lads now and let's, let's push on and, and, and carry on the rest of the season. But it, to me, the, the letter and the subsequent interview on with Jim White is just, it's it's so disrespectful to to every fan, and it shows the disdain that they have for, for the fans that it just it feels like it's just a lot of corporate speak to not really say anything. To then you can hear them just saying, "Oh, just just tell them it's all fine." And it, this isn't just an Everton problem either. I've said this before. I think this is a a Premier League and even football wide problem where the, the powers that be of football and things treat fans as though we're just oh we'll just be there and it doesn't matter so you just say what you want to them and they'll they'll come anyway and and it doesn't matter whatsoever you can say what you want and they'll be happy a couple of wins but you, you can hear them say far had six points 12 points whatever they'll be fine they'll all shut up and they'll carry on and mm-hmm. i think we were we were guilty of it maybe as, as, as a campaign and as, as a fan base as a whole at the end of last season to not push for more answers and change at that time because I think we were all I said before that I think the if that Crystal Palace game at the end of last year was a basic 1-0 win for Everton I don't think you get the same outpouring of emotion as the fact we were 2-0 down and 1-3-2 and all the wonderful scenes and all that sort of stuff and it felt like that ended and all of us just went oh thank goodness let's not do that again I'm going to enjoy my summer and not think about Everton for a little bit and then you get to the new season and you obviously don't want to be like negative from the off. You want to back the team. You want to get behind some new season. Everything's fresh again. Everyone's on zero points. Let's go for it. But it's just old habits coming straight back in, and, and nothing changes. Like we say, with him going straight back to Jim White, the, the club, the board, everything just falls back, and it feels like we're just in this terminal decline now that has been coming for. You know, you can go back as far as you like, probably into since Moyes left maybe he seemed to have some semblance of stability under him but since that point it's just felt like every season although we might have the odd up it's always gradually just come down and down and down and now we're at the point where we're fighting relegation and not just one season it's coming to the second season and and we're in January and the scary thing is, if it wasn't for the six-week break, we might have been doing bus welcomes to try and G the team up in, what, the end of November, December? Like, we've, yeah. we've, the season doesn't finish till May. We didn't need to do any of this last season until near the end. And all of a sudden, I think everyone is worried. And we feel like, as Evertonians always will, we'll get behind the team. We always try and support them, always try and get them over the line. It's hard when they're 4-0 down against Brighton, but we will carry on and try and... It's, it's worrying that it's January. We're not even we have we want this Southampton's halfway through the season, isn't it? I think that's this is the last the last game, and then we're halfway through, and we're yeah, already feeling games, like we need yeah. to do bus welcomes. Yeah, and we already feel like we need to do bus welcomes to to 
try and fight for three points that are so valuable to us at this point in the season. It it's sad. That's that's what it mainly is. It's sad. So uh, the, the ask was on Talksport himself this morning. <clears throat> Got a fair amount of pushback yes. from Simon Jordan and uh, Jim White on the question of the makeup of the board specifically. Mm. I mean, what and what do you make of the notion that fans? And this is kind of just alluding to what you just said, really. What would you make of the notion that fans shouldn't protest at games or even protest at all because it causes instability at a really fragile period for the club? I understand it, and, and I've said on Twitter a few times that obviously we are, we we arranged this sit-in protest at the weekend, and we've tried to explain the reasons why we feel it's necessary. We think that fans deserve to have a voice and, and we originally planned this to be for the Arsenal games because that's televised and mm-hmm. with the Brighton result, people wanted to express the frustrations a little bit earlier than that. So we've obviously pulled it forward to Southampton. Um, and I think we tried to make sure that we weren't, we understand as much as anyone how much we need three points. I will take them from anywhere. We can get them. If Nias wants to score one off his backside again in the bottom corner, I will happily take him back on a free transfer and get him in um, <laughs> because I, we need yeah. goals and we need points from anywhere we can get them right now. Um, so we understand the need for that and we we wanted to make sure that any protest or, as I know Paul has, has alluded to, the ESC has alluded to, um, and as, as he's called it, an act of support because we are, this is just us, you know, throwing our passion out for the club. It's not, we're not doing it because we specifically want this person it's not like a political thing where we want this person you know stripped of power and all this sort of stuff we just want that that board as a whole to perform in a in a much stronger way and the only way we see that to happen is to have fresh faces in there that can can do that but i i go back to what i was saying is i've said on twitter as much as i can that Everyone's every, everyone is different and everyone will feel Everton differently and everyone will want to react differently to how we are at the minute. If someone doesn't want to protest or does want to protest but doesn't want to do the sitting or they can't do the sitting or whatever, it doesn't matter. They, that's their Everton and they can experience that however they want and nobody deserves any abuse for that. No one should be shouting at them saying, don't do this, just like they shouldn't shout anyone who wants to protest. I understand both sides of it. Um I think, you know, it's easy for people to say it causes instability and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I would say that the way the club is run right now is causing more instability than us just shining a light on it. It's not, you know, we're not flying high at the top of the table. And all of a sudden, you know, I've seen, and and it's there right as well, but I've seen Tottenham planning protests again and, and writing letters to their board and stuff. And, you look at everything flipping out. Just, I'd love to have Champions League football every few years, and and what they've done, and and they want better, so that's fine. But you know, when we're not at that point and and playing well, and we're trying to disrupt it in any way, we're we're at one of the lowest points in this club's history, and all of us just want we just want better. So, Zach, yeah, you were on uh, uh, Toffee TV a few days ago. Um, yeah. Ted was asking a lot of questions about the structure of the group, you know, devil's advocate questions, really, they get to the heart mm-hmm. of the criticisms that are leveled at any group that takes upon itself, you know, to agitate for change at Everton. Uh, people bristle at any group of fans that appear to be speaking or acting on behalf of the fans, even if it's not really your mm-hmm. intent. 
um, you know, Keok and, and the Blue Union had it back in the day, and it was no different when the yeah. original 27 campaign tried to initiate that walkout exactly. against Arsenal. You know, when Benitez was still in charge, there's always going to be, I think, an element of the fan base, um, although I think it's a diminishing one now, particularly after today, uh, who reflexively, you know, mm. come to the to the defense of the club. Um you know, and obviously there are still some some personalities who were involved in, back in those previous campaigns involved in this one. So, I mean, how do you assure fans about the makeup of your campaign in particular? Um, yeah, and sort of get past some of these fractious debates that were happening on Twitter Spaces a few months back. Um, you know, and, and how are yeah. you sort of trying to sort of keep keep things harmonious? I suppose with within the fan base while you protest. Yeah, I think it's that was the whole point around coming up with the All Together cam, All Together Now campaign and pushing it out to as many groups to get involved as possible. And we, I've said, I've said before, there's too much for just one group to even try and make a, a real change. You need everyone's got skills. So the, the 1878, for example, who have organised the flags and the bus welcome and stuff, for us to try and take that on as well as everything else, it would just be so hard to, for one group to do so bringing yeah. everyone together was something that was a real key aim of of the campaign and trying to find messaging that everyone would agree with and hopefully that would speak to the fan base as well and you know i, I don't know if you've seen but i mean my dms have been mental because as soon as we put the letter out with the 17 initial groups on i instantly said to everyone look anyone actually any evertonian individual group anyone come put your name on it dm me and if you feel the same way let's show it if you're just you know i've had people message me like oh i don't really go to games and i live far away but would i be all allowed like absolutely every blue is allowed to have an opinion and allowed to express that opinion and if it's one that you if if you agree with what we've said we would love to have your name signed to that letter as much as my dms and twitter app is blowing up <laughs> i will get to everyone i promise and i will get every name on it um, and I think that's what we're trying to do is we, it's, this isn't just us now. We've, we've got lots of great, you know, even like from the Bullens and stuff, putting, um, you know, doing podcasts just all around the All Together Now campaign and yeah. um, lots of other podcasts and, and yourselves and people all talking about it. And it's not just us. Um, it needs to be a full fan collective. We showed last year that we could keep this team in the division. And we pulled them through as a unified fan base, and that was trying to so trying to bring back that harmony of last year. But you know, we we are trying to back the team, like we say. We, we've done the 18, we've worked with the eighteen seventy eight to make sure this book's welcome and try and push it out there and get people there because we need these three points, like I say. But also, we need a unified voice. If you if you agree with what we're saying, then we would love to to have a voice behind it, absolutely, because the only way we'll get changes altogether is the same with any, you know, you look at any um, change in, in politics ever, anywhere. It's always because of a big group of people coming together. It's not just a couple of voices. So um, as much as I might be talking now and the ask and other people might be saying things, we're all unified in the one, one of just this club. We need to change something to, to reverse this decline. Yeah, well said. And I think you've done it actually really well. I was, I was actually impressed with the speed with which, you know, you brought everyone together um, so seamlessly. Mm. So, yeah, well done. Thank yeah, you. brilliant. So what's, uh, just finally then, so what's um, what's utopia for this then? What's the, uh, you know, what does meaningful change look like? Or is that just over to you, board? We want to see what you've got. Is, there, is, 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 that, is that half the case? Because it's difficult for us to dictate what they, it's like you're in charge do it you know is that basically the message 
Exactly. It's 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 hard because none none of us have ever run football clubs. Mm. You know, we there is there is a lot that goes on inside a, a multi million pound company that a lot of people would have no idea about and it's it's very hard to, to understand. So we're not sat here saying we can do a better job than you. What we are saying is we believe there's people out there who can do a better job than you. And we're I mean, up until maybe today, we've pushed for Mashiri to make a change and understand that there are people out there that could do a better job and run this club as a business, as a commercial entity, a lot better than it is right now. But right now, it feels like he's also on on the side of not understanding that. So I would also say that if he's not willing to do that, he needs to, and this is a harder thing to do, but he needs to find a a buyer or an investor or someone at a price that he can that he can accept that will come in and do it because I understand look he's a billionaire but he doesn't want to be taking a low ball offer for a club that he's put a ton of hundreds of millions of pounds into which is the one thing that you can never level at him is that he has put money into it he's tried his hardest with, with putting his hand in his pocket yeah. but that also has put us yeah. in a position where he he can't sell it because there is so much if it, he he would need so much money, and the club isn't valued at that because we're down in the bottoms of the league. So he's painted into a corner where it's very hard for him to get the price he wants, but also he doesn't want to make the changes to make us be worth the price he wants. So it, it's it's a tough one. So yeah, I think really the the perfect world, the utopia, would be we either get you know you look at Newcastle for example. I don't massively like Newcastle as a club or whatever, but they got new owners in who cleaned clean slate started again changed the culture of the club and they're flying and that's similar to what we want whether it's Mashiri who does it or whether it's someone who comes in and takes his shares or, or invests or whatever and does it we need a clean slate and we need competent people in the business to reverse this as I said before reverse the decline that we're on and start to to turn us into a real commercial and on on and off the pitch we need a real reset, and that's that's that would be utopia. Really, is is just the the start of that. If if we could just see the start of that, I'm not saying that things would just instantly be better. But if we can see the start of it, there's never going to be, you know, you're not you're never we're never going to stop holding people to account because it's the club that we love. We do it with players on the pitch, we do it with managers, and sadly, it's got to the point where they've. Mm-hmm. They've all failed for so long that now we're looking at the people above them because how can they all be wrong all of the time? It can't always just be the players and manager. As much as they, the board aren't kicking the ball, it, they set the tone for the whole company, and that's what that's what needs to change. Well answered. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Well, yeah. best of luck with the campaign, of course. Uh, happy you. birthday for Saturday and uh, as Lind- <laughs> to echo Lyndon's words I'm really impressed with the speed of which it's all gathered pace and uh, how you've brought so many supporters and fan groups together on this so uh, keep up the great work and uh, yeah well done perfect thank you very much thanks for coming on cheers and thanks again to Zach for coming on and giving us the viewpoint of the NS Now campaign I alluded to the grief that past critics of the board have had for putting their head above the parapet. So fair play to Zach for being able to be a visible face to the movement, not named Paul the Esk. Uh, Paul Trail, first off, what did you think of uh, what Zach had to say? And where is your head at after the last 24, 48 hours of Mashiri's Everton? 
Oh, great. Where's my head at? <laughs> Where to start with that, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave that one. Uh, but <laughs> the, um, no, no, he spoke fairly well, Zach, didn't he? And uh, it was really nice to, to get a bit of a kind of inside, inside scoop, I suppose, on um, on the goings on. Obviously, we've seen a lot about the All Together Now campaign. And um, yeah, we touched, touched on it on the, um, on the interview there. It's, it's, it's great. I was going to say it's amazing, and it is amazing, but... It, Amazing comes in line with a little bit of surprising, and it's not surprising how Evertonians have sort of come together on this because you saw how Evertonians come together last season, and it's you know that we we do that at the at, when it, when it's important, and uh, that it's important this early in the season is sad, really, isn't it? As uh, as Zach uh, pointed out, but um, how quickly it's gathered pace and uh, and how well he's um, how well they've they've done to to get to get aligned with so many people and to put pressure on the board and. It's happening, isn't it? It's um, yeah, we're, we're not getting okay. We we don't want Jim Farad speaking to Jim White really and giving us his, his sound bites from there. And um, however misguided they are, but it's making them react. It's making you know, it's making them come out with statements. It's making them talk. And um, we'll probably have a little bit more words somewhere tomorrow, I imagine. As probably it doesn't look like there's going to be a sign-in to announce <laughs> between between now and then. Um, and I don't know, they, they, they can only show so much new stadium footage. So I think, um, yeah, we'll probably hear a little bit more and it's, we'll see what reaction it gets. And uh, yeah, I think um, in terms of when we had that of Mashiri's comments, well, it's probably the same with everyone else's. I think it's it, hearing them speak again to Jim White, it's just another why. You know what I mean? There's so many different ways you can communicate with Evertonians than that. And it's never been a popular way. Um, does he seem misguided? Yes. There was a few little things I probably sort of I could see what I could see what he was saying. Um, I think what he was getting at when, when he was saying, "Oh, we've um, uh, the managerial sackings, etc. Appointments has been led by the fans a little bit." I could, he's probably referring to, "Oh, you also had sack Marcus Silva, so I sacked them. You also sacked Ronald Koeman, so I sacked them." But so a lot of the decisions are way, way above and beyond that. Everyone said, "Don't, don't." employ Rafa Benitez and he did yeah I mean there's a lot of other things that were done which we all didn't want him to do and, and don't want him to do so um yeah it's uh I, I was I didn't hear it first I was obviously just taking a little break from work and saw saw Twitter blowing up about it like oh what what's he said now <laughs> here we go and uh <laughs> and haven't we all had that at some point you know I mean oh, you just like, yeah you're here a bit later on like, oh what, what now <laughs> it just feels like it's always the way with Everton and the board, and I'm totally online with, with people's frustrations and uh, and uh, desire for change, and uh, very interesting to see how it all goes. Uh, how it all goes on Saturday. Yeah, it was it was refreshing to have Zach speak so candidly and competently about going on at Everton, and then obviously to have that mirrored with Farmer's Eerie yet again, um, using talk sport took us all back to the. Heady days of 2016, didn't they? and the chase for Sissoko, and um, yeah, I, th- I think I think Zach brought up the uh, James McCarthy element of that, which I, I kind of repressed, I think, and um, <laughs> it was it was nice to be reminded of that. Um, yeah, Majiri's interview was, um, I, I, I wouldn't say it was a car crash; it was probably like a minor ding, wasn't it? Um, it's a bit like reversing into someone in a supermarket car park. It was it was clumsy. <laughs> It was it was obviously not planned, um, but here we are trying to sort of yeah work out the particulars of it. Um, he probably has got a point with some of the fan elements of it, but I think that massively oversimplifies his own role in and the board's role should be said with 
with the mess we've obviously been in pretty much since he since he uh, took charge of the club yes the fans have played a role certainly when it comes to the dismissal of certain managers but that's because things on the pitch have pretty much every time become completely untenable um that doesn't then touch on any of the decisions in terms of recruitment um it certainly doesn't um feed into a wider strategy of a club which i think um was discussed last week with some of you guys particularly in contrast with the likes of Brighton when we were talk, talking about a joined-up strategy and the joined-up thinking and what we'd give for that. Um, the interview doesn't go anyway to answering any of those criticisms. It it kind of dumbs it down and says, oh, yeah, well, reason we've got so many managers is kind of as much on you as it is on me, um, but don't worry, there's a stadium coming. And even that, I think there was an announcement, or I think it might have been via a, a podcast from Colin Chong from the stadium side of things saying it's going to be a quite few months of that. So what the hell are we going to have to feed off? Um, poor, poor Lampard going out every week like a lamb to the slaughter, having to talk about things off the pitch. Um, and then a campaign group, which, yeah, has certainly got results in terms of it's, it's, got, it's got the owner to speak. But until there's any noticeable action and also... Uh, some kind of positive change on the pitch, then we are still going to be here scratching our heads, aren't we, and wondering what's to come. Yeah, I just I just think, it again, whenever he speaks to the media or, well, to Jim White, it just shows how uh, incompetent he is, how out of his depth he is, the lack of awareness that he's got. Um, you know, that he, he came out, I think, a year ago and said that he wouldn't use Jim White as, as the channel anymore to get his message across. And I think Alan Myers put a tweet out to say that nobody Everton, nobody at Everton knew that Mashiri was going to go on the radio this morning. So it just shows, again, if even something in terms of communication, it's such an important time for the club and in terms of the connection with the fan base. If he's going off and doing his own thing, how many times has that occurred when we're appointing managers, when we're trying to buy players, when we're trying to sell players? It just shows that there's a, a complete disconnect and that may be from him. It may be from other parts of the club, I don't know. But, I mean, I don't know if anybody else noticed as well, but in the background, you could hear Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Mm. And I've, I've now just got an image of <laughs> Farad Mashiri, you know, walking around his house doing a bit of dusting. And he's got sort of Frank Lampard's face on a dartboard. And it's like, you know, just all these images of the past managers. It's just, it's just it is like parody. It's, it's like somebody's, you know, made a... Uh, a mock comedy about a football club like it, it it just it's getting more and more baffling and the scary thing is is that 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 call with Jim White today is more far more alarming than any of the Everton performances I've seen over the six years because it, it, it it's just showing that we're all aware that we're only going in one direction and the one man who's got the power to change it and alter it and and either, you know, sell up or put the right people in charge or improve the team or, you know, all these different things. He's basically got the football club in, in his hands and he can do what he likes with it. And it's it's just, it is, I think some people have compared it to the Titanic as though the iceberg's there and we're all shouting in his ear, it's, it's coming up, it's coming up. And he's just not seeing it. And that's the really scary and sad thing for me is that this is also needless. If Everton had had a relegation fight years gone by when they were, you know, struggling to get the funds for Brian McBride, you could understand it. But for, you know, the the whole, you know, gallows humour of Everton that, it's the fact we've spent so much money 
we finally found an owner who we thought was like the lottery ticket, you know, the to unlock all our dreams. And it's just been a complete nightmare. And it's it's just really saddening, but really startling as well. That you know the fans are really trying to make the club aware, and you know even though there's going to be process, we. we you can tell that everybody wants to back the club. We want to see them doing the right thing. And that's where it's a shame that they've got that support there, but they're just not alert to it. And it is, it's just really frightening. It's really, really frightening at this stage. So I can't get the image out of my head of Forward Mashiri fancying around this house listening to Queen dusting away now. <laughs> that's all I'm going to be thinking about for the rest of this pod. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Eye of the Tiger on there as well? The nice I believe so, yeah. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Now I can imagine dancing to that now. <laughs> Lyndon, say something, anything. (laughs) Your evening is complete. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's. um, I I think what you just said, Elder, about the fact that there is there's this this yearning within the fan base to back the club, a successful club, and it will all. You know, once this, if this ever gets, um, if these pieces ever get put in the right place, and we start do start moving forward, there's going to be a hell of a support, a push of support behind this club. Um, you know, if if we're rallying to this degree when times are bad, then just imagine, you know, what it can be like when times are good. Um, regarding both the, the the letter to the fans forum and you know his uh, his call to Jim White, I'm I'd like to say I'm surprised by by either one, but I'm not, unfortunately, because you know he has previous, uh, and I think that the, it was the case of both of his all of his previous calls to Jim White were off his own back uh, without the knowledge of the communication department. I mean, the communication department must just be tearing their hair out. Um, But I think it speaks to um, this kind of unilateral decision-making process that that, that kind of permeates the club under Mashiri and has done ever since he came here. Um, I mean, to to take his points um, from his letter, which frankly didn't say much more than his two previous open letters to supporters because they didn't address what the fans have been specifically demanding. I mean, he's right about two things. He has put money where his mouth is and put an enormous amount of cash into the club. The problem is he spent it incredibly badly and the club have undertaken, you know, that oft trumpeted strategic review and implemented some of the recommended changes on the football side. But the problem that he has is that those changes are going to take a long time to bear fruit. Um, you know, all of all of Everton's current problems are the result of years of profligacy in the transfer market, overpaying for players, paying them far too much to pay for the club. And those problems all occurred under the current structure. So regardless of who's responsible for what, uh, the buck stops with those in charge. And it's perfectly natural now for some supporters to f- focus their frustration uh, and criticism at those who run the club. Now, those are, who are already at the top... Um, they may be the best that can be acquired. I doubt it. But, you know, the only new board members who have come onto the board in recent years are people who were already at the club in some capacity or family members of Alicia Usmanov. You know, so that it, if, you know, it's, it's not, that's not going out to find the best in the industry. And um, while Simon Jordan was right to say on TalkSport this morning that a lot of Premier League boards are or have been basket cases, that doesn't mean that Everton shouldn't try to be different, you know, to... Um, to follow at least in the model of Manchester City, who have a very professionally run outfit that's uh, not necessarily down to the fact that they have all this money. Um, and you know, Newcastle seems to be going the same way. Um, so, again, on Mishiri's points, number one, direct communication. I think the club can be commended 
um, for establishing these different interfaces with the fans in the form of the fans forum and the fan advisory board. Um, you know, the latter, of course, was a reaction to the failed European Super League. Um, and this notion that supporters should have a greater say in the running of their football clubs. But for a lot of fans, particularly ones who feel powerless to stop you know, the slide of their club into the championship, they feel like more of an abstraction layer because they, and particularly the you know, fans who are the most vocal, the most critical, are skeptical of A, how these parties are chosen, and B, how much power they actually have in what is, again, a very monolithic uh, unilateral structure to the club. So um, personally, I think they have about as much power and influence as the board and the owner will allow them to have, which when it comes to actual decision-making uh, on major issues, isn't very much, which again, you know, I suppose is understandable really, but at least, you know, you hope that they're communicating the fans' grievances um, and uh, making recommendations that, that in that sense, they would have some kind of influence over the figures who run the club. But, you know, if that were the case, Mashiri wouldn't be on TalkSport, undermining both the club's communications department and his own contention that, in his words, the club operates a well-structured and ongoing dialogue with the fans. Um, so, yeah, so when it comes to direct communication, an open letter from Mashiri with the same old platitudes just isn't going to cut it. And I think that's why, you know, his latest missive has been received with such disdain. They've got to face up to it more. Yeah. Uh, he, he's got to be there on Saturday. He's got to realise people, you know what I mean? He's, he's, when was he there? Is the Watford game where he got 5 2? Probably would have been enough to scare me off, I suppose. But, like, it, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just it's, if, if your own is invisible, then, then it, it, it's hard to sort of have trust, I suppose. Um, and, and, and that's. Well, it feels like it comes down to to me is just a lack of trust in their ability to do to 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 do the job and to to communicate. I think it's a complex situation at Everton in terms of the ownership and fairness uh, with Osmanov. I'm not speculating a little bit, but I think there's so much Osmanov money tied into Rashiri's money. There's the way I see it, and with Osmanov not being able to contribute there anymore, and with the sanctions, that I don't know how much of Rashiri's money. I, I don't think that's really essentially his money involved. I think he's in this sort of strange situation of he, he can't really do a lot he can't you know he, 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 it's tough for him to sort of make any real moves there i think and until he can until he can find somebody to buy it at the price that he wants i think it's the way i the way i kind of see it again I'm speculating a bit there so it's, it, it's pretty complex but um the bottom line is they need to come and get some players in at the moment i think if you look about the here and now what can they do to save everton right now and to, to help the team and to give the fans someone to get excited about and to, to help flank lampard and to help us stay in the division because cost of cost of getting relegated is a lot more than 20 million quid on a player then they've, they've got to find a way to do that for sure and seeing um seeing Leeds spend about was it 30 40 million quid today or, or about to sign off wolves have spent a lot of money teams around us are spending Southampton have signed a couple of players teams around us are, are, are spending yeah, and, and spending their way out of there um it's it, it's like everybody else and this is where it's all, all come from it's left me really really worried about everton more so than i was i think at any point really last season you know uh so it's um yeah, it's challenging times, and they, they, they've got to rise up to it. And um, I think I saw you tweeted earlier, Al, um, that they haven't signed a player this week or so far in this window. And we can go. I know you spoke. You spoke quite a lot last uh, earlier in the week, and uh, made a lot of good points about why haven't they sort of spent all this time sorting this stuff out? It's it, it's uh, it's very true. It's um, it's neglect, and it's not, and it's neglect twice in the season because they had the time to get a striker and knowing that he didn't have anyone was Evan Salem with Charleston, knowing Dominic was an injury risk, and he, and he failed at the start of the season. You've said that, Dan, as well. 
then points might come home to roost or lack of points from um, you know games which we were in all them games but didn't have a striker to sort of put the ball in and that it's um it's it's just worrying again and there's only so many times you can dance with the devil I suppose only so many times you can flirt with relegation and yeah I mean it's um yeah, it's left me really worried so they, I feel they got to act fast the best way to do that right now would be to sign recognize that situation front up and sign some players quickly. That's the issue, isn't it? That's that's Majiri's only real... Well, he, he kind of said it himself. He's spent his way um, both in and out of trouble, I guess. Um, the problem is that we we probably can't do that. And again, we don't, like like you say, Paul, we don't really know the full ins and outs when it comes to um, financial situation. Um, the same way that Majiri, we, we want to hear from him. And when we do, we don't want to hear from him. Um, none of it's reassuring. I think what we did show in the summer, because I, I think you were uh, alluded to this in the last podlin, and coming out of the summer, we didn't feel like we'd had the perfect transfer window. We didn't feel fully set up to it, but certainly the signings in defence and midfield and concentrating on that part of the pitch seemed sensible. Um, some of those signings haven't fulfilled even the sort of base expectation of what we what we wanted from them, um, and. I guess the issue with things like this strategic review and the likes of Kevin Thelwell having that influence now and that continuity is there's not necessarily a lot of proof in the pudding in terms of the players that have been brought in. Uh, we brought in a lot of Premier League experience, um, but we've seen players who haven't really been able to adjust to the demands of, you know, we, we've, see, we've seen McNeil struggle, we've seen Melpe struggle. Um, we We haven't looked up to it. What we did see with those deals was a degree of manoeuvrability, the likes of getting Cody on a loan rather than splashing out uh, big money, 12, 15 million pounds and see what happens. He might work, he might not. It's a loan with an option to buy. There's more for a player to prove, less on our balance sheet. Likewise, McNeil, low down payment, see how he does. Hasn't worked out, but whatever. Maybe we'll have to rely on that kind of thing again and that might mean moving certain players out to make that happen. But again, the issue there becomes, at the moment, who's a taker for Abdullah Decore? Who's who's a taker for Michael Keane? Um, and likewise, who are we going to get in return? Because if we're shopping around for other Premier League players, which seems to be a lot of the strategy, or French players who, I think you said last week, I weren't the World Cup. So if you'd think if there was solid interest, it would have been over the line by now. Um it is worrying because you look around and yeah, Leeds might have bought another Joel Linton who in three years' time might be a central midfielder we buy. Uh, but otherwise, they, they've added players, they've added bodies to to a struggling side. And we certainly haven't. Southampton have bought in Orsic, who 30 years old, experienced, played at international level. He, he'd probably go into our team at the moment, certainly in that top end of the pitch. So we, we do need to do something fast. Obviously, the worry is that Saturday's a massive game and that ain't happening unless uh, unless there's some real late-breaking news tonight, but can't see it happening, sadly. Well, the really scary thing about Southampton is as well as they've signed a player called Alcaraz as well. So it'll be nice <laughs> to see his name on the team sheet after what we've been through. But it, it is, it, it, it goes, for me, whenever Everton ever get into this, uh, we have it once a year, don't we, really? It's, it's a cycle at the moment. It, it's it's the cycle under Mashiri. Whenever it gets to this inflection point where we're in a crisis, you can go back six months, a year, two years. There's always a reason for it, and it's 
it's always down to Everton not being proactive and, as Paul said, basically negligent. The day after Everton v Crystal Palace, the Arsenal game could have been forgot about, really. You know, as, as approved, they weren't bothered about that result. They should have had a list. They should have all, all the names. When those players could come in, and the, the thing that baffles me is we went five games with no striker. We were playing wingers as a false nine. That's 15 points. Now, in those games, we were solid. We had chances. We didn't have a striker to finish them off. And now we're in the relegation zone. If we've got that man to put the ball in the net, that could be different. Neil Morpay, 15 million. I'm not seeing where Brighton would have been desperate to keep him at the start of the window with that fee, or maybe a little more. So again, it comes down to sort of the the panic buy or the, the late mover or having our hands tied because of the previous decision-making. You look at Neil Morpay, you look at his career. He's never been a lone striker. He's not the tallest player. We've been booting balls up to him. If Calvert-Lewin's injured for the majority of the, the previous season... We were linked with uh, Ludovic Ajork, who's a, 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 a target man in France. Again, French football isn't anywhere near the Premier League in terms of the money. Now, the money that we've spent on other players, I'm convinced that we could have done a deal uh, before the start of the season. Again, I'm not in the negotiation room. I don't know mm-hmm. what is holding Everton back, but I just know that six years ago, we had a billionaire owner come to us with a blank checkbook, and we've been hamstrung ever since. So it always goes back. And another thing for me, which is is, is a shame about Mashiri and being the owner of Everton is, he was asked today about whether he, you know, with the process and stuff, and he said, that's their right. You know, everybody, it's a democratic thing. That's their right. And it, it seems that he is a genuinely, like, decent guy. We haven't had this pantomime villain who's wanted to come in, sell Goodison Park off, Goodison Park off, and then go into the sunset with all our money. It seems like he did come in, and that's where he's massively let himself down. He's just been fooled. He's come in with the right intentions. Could have been the guy that, you know, made all our dreams come true, and he's just been so foolish with it. And again, it's it's coming in and seeing the board and saying, oh, well, they're local and they're long-standing. Farred, that's the reason you needed to hit the reset button, because no other club in the world operates like that anymore. This isn't 1983, it's 2023 that, you know, you needed to have that refresh. And that's not, you know, even if Everton did a lot of good things at the time, we were a club operating with no money. All of a sudden, we have the ability to spend 500 million. That meant the football club had to fundamentally change from top to bottom. It had to be a professional outfit for the Premier League in 2016. And he didn't do it, and all he did was join the old regime. And that's why we haven't had success. It's no surprise when you look at it that we fell down the table and why Brighton will finish above us and why Brentford will finish above us. Because at the end of the day, we've been left behind the times because the owner, who who had the one thing we were lacking, which was money, and could have changed it all, decided, no, I won't do that. Or as some people say, you know, was it to do with how we bought the club? Did Kemmerer have to stay on? I don't know. You know, if that's true or if that's completely far-fetched, I don't know. But Mashiri had the power. He's the owner. He's got 94% of the club. What he says goes, as he's proved today, he's gone on the, the radio without telling anyone. He had the power to change it, and he kept it the same. And that's why Everton have stayed the same. 
That's why we get beat by Watford 5-2. That's why 20 years ago we got beat by Tranmere 3-0. That's why we don't go far in the Cups. That's why we have these like lulls where we don't achieve anything. Because the, the club needed to be fixed and it wasn't. Naivety. It, it's not a an asset-stripping billionaire who's, who, who came in to yeah, just try and make a quick book. It's someone who, like you say, is it invested and has put his wallet you know pull it put his money where his mouth is but it's it's just sheer naivety and then having too much trust in like you say but the local and long-standing comment was yeah that was that was probably one of the more baffling parts of what you said it's 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 not a great line of defense um no it was damning yeah completely um and yeah the lack of progress says it all i i think he came in thinking that you could just throw enough money at it and it would work you know, that's, uh, that was certainly the approach in the beginning. And it was the approach even as recently as, you know, under Allardyce throwing, you know, 20-odd million at Cenk Tosin and, and, and uh, Theo Walcott when the other clubs were not – no one was bidding to sign those players at those prices. And the same went for David Klassen for 20-odd million. You know, it was just – or Alex Awobi at 35 million. It was just this haphazard approach where if you think you throw enough money at the wall, um, it'll be enough. And that will kind of mask um, – any kind of lack of professional experience at board level. You know, you can keep your your local connection local in course. Bill Kenrice lived in London for the best part of three decades. I know he's from Liverpool, but you know, Denise is local, fair enough. But yeah, you can you can kind of mask that that like and keep your uh, your local connection if the money is working. But the money didn't work. And now that the money's run out, you need expertise in those in those positions, um, you know, to, to move the club forward. Um, you know, if the sum total of Denise's remit is purely um, on the operations side, then fine. You know, operation of the club seems to be running fairly well right now. We haven't had any major ticketing debacles in recent times. You know, Operation Goodison seems to be going off smoothly every week. You know, I'm being flippant, you know. But uh, in all seriousness, she represents the club well and seems to be highly regarded in the football world. You know, I don't think she's out there with the brief of landing big ticket sponsorship deals. You know, and again, that's fine as long as you have someone in that club who is. Um, I don't think Bill Ken writes that person, um, which more or less leaves, you know, Mashiri and maybe Grant Ingalls, I suppose. And if Mashiri, you know, let's say he lands this, the, the Qatar Airways deal, um, and it's the beginning of more of such arrangements now that he's having to cast his net wider than, you know, USM Holdings, then... Again, great, but that has to happen first. And in the meantime, the club is in very real danger of being relegated. You know, as, as we've said, we're almost two weeks now into what could be the most important transfer window in the club's history. We're not even close to signing another attacking player to address you know, what is a, a chronic shortage of goals. Um, and we're going into this, you know, these games against Southampton and West Ham, um, praying that the team can scratch out a couple of results you know, to get us to the inevitable last, you know, scramble at the end of the window to bring in players to, to set us up for the rest of the season. Um, and so it's this lack of urgency and awareness of the, of the seriousness of the situation is that that was the most worrying thing about what Mashiri has said in the last couple of days. It's worrying and also it's not only has this whole debacle over the last six to seven years weakened us, we've seen other sides obviously progress, some, some marginal gains, the likes of Brighton, Brentford, who have mentioned but also, I've said it before, but we're, we're like the canary down the mine. We've laid the, the blueprint of exactly what not to do. N- Newcastle would have 
done exactly the same thing that we did. They, they would have ignored financial fair play. They would have spent poorly. They would have bid big for players without competition. They, they would have made the same mistakes we had, but, but, but we did it first. So now you're seeing a well-run club. Oh, isn't it sensible? Isn't it great what we're doing? Well, of course it is, but they've, they've seen what not to do first. And, and now we're going to constantly, continuously, consistently be playing catch-up with those those types of clubs. And it's it's, I mean, it's not our fault, but I, that's where the lack of ownership from the owner is is pretty damning. Big problem, I think, though, is um, <clears throat> if, you, if, like, say, and we, could, we could only speculate on a number of different things that could potentially happen, but the if Machine used to sell the club, we're still in the same financial position, presumably, yeah. in terms of FFP. Yeah. Like, we can't really do uh, affect an awful lot. So you got to affect what have you, okay, how can you affect what you got then within the board there? And as we just mentioned all them, and I don't think Graham Sharp's contributing an awful lot in terms of sort of like these these sort of decisions that we that, that we sort of need. So we need basically, we essentially need to be sort of back in a sort of like a David Moyes approach or what in a way, don't we? Somebody who can who can wheel and deal well, who knows how to sort of get the best out of the crowd, who knows how to you know attract good players at you know at, at good money. And we need somebody who can do that, you know, who can operate. And I'm, I'm talking more hierarchical, and I'm, I'm talking of David Moyes as a sort of director of football, or someone like that who knows how to do all this, who knows how to get these. Players. I don't know if Kevin Thelwell does. And we need, I don't know, we need to somehow find better people on there. Like what Brighton have, I guess. That's always the model you go out to because they don't spend a lot of money for what they do. You know what I mean? So we need to somehow find a way to get them people in there. How would you get them people to go there? Well, one, they've got to try and identify these people, which you don't have seemingly the capability of doing. But then how do you attract them to Everton? The mess we're in at the moment. How can you attract that? I mean, other than say, oh, look, we've got a new shiny stadium in, a, you know, in, in 18 months or so. Yeah, how else can you? Yeah, there's, there's, it's it's a tough sell, right? I imagine right now. So uh, ask them, ask them for change, and, and this is their own this is their own hole that they've dug. But they, they ask them for change, ask them to you know, to do something. How can they do it? I mean, it's it's I mean, and, and that's where they they just gotta be smart, and they got they got to find a way. It's not impossible. Other clubs do it. Have found ways to do this, but they got to find a way. And I just don't know. Think I'm not so so sure they got the. Uh, then now to sort of find that person or, you know what I mean? So we're saying, oh, make change. Okay, what if they panic and make, you know, I don't know, right, yeah, Graham, you're actually going to step down. You're going to start doing back to hospitality or whatever. And they get some random in and that's just, you know what I mean? It's just, I just don't have the faith in them getting it right. You know what I mean? So while we're asking for change, it's important that we are. I worry about what the change would be as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So just, um, yeah. it's a real, it's a real mess, whichever way you look. And uh, do you think we seem to be able to stop, you say this new stadium, when that comes around, it doesn't mean, you're right, um, I think as Zach was saying earlier, um, it doesn't mean, oh, when you get to the new stadium, oh, great luck, you're going to have loads of great new players. We're talking like from right now, we need to be in the league in about five years' time in that new stadium. And we're probably, we're probably on that bumpy road. We really probably are. Unless we get like a mad run and sort of like, I don't know, getting in Europe and somehow sort of gather a bit of momentum from somewhere. We're probably talking about five years of sort of having to sort of like scrimp and save and find ways to do things better and until the fruition, the fruition comes from the new stadium. Because that's going to take time for the start to make money from that really, given what we paid pay to get it in the first place. So it's a long, long road, and they just got they got to arm themselves with the right people around them to do it. How do you find them people is the is the problem. Yeah. Well, you look at Arsene Wenger, how he had to manage Arsenal when they moved to the Emirates. Yeah, they had mm-hmm. to do it very differently. And I think when Mashiri came in, what I always wanted Everton to be 
was basically when you look at clubs on the continent like Borussia Dortmund and Ajax, they sign players when they're 18, 19, 20, 21. They sell them on when they're 22, 23, 24. Um, while Ajax, because of the level of um, competition in the Eredivisie, Ajax can still win the league that way. I appreciate that Everton wouldn't win the league doing that, but they would certainly maybe get seventh because for every 19-year-old you sell when he's 22, you can then, with the money you've accumulated, buy a star player who's 27, 28. So you can do it that way, but it seems that because because Mashiri didn't make the relative changes at the start, that went askew and wasn't able to be possible. And then he brought Marcel Brands in. And if, you, if you've read some of Marcel Brands' interviews since, it does seem like there was meddling and that Marcel Brands wasn't able to do his job. So it's, it's, it's getting those right people in and having that plan and strategy. But that's where it falls down because nobody's on the same page, I don't think, or nobody is allowed to do their job. So as Paul said, you've got to find ways to do it. But it feels like Everton just make it impossible for themselves. They just shoot themselves in the foot. Every, every sort of strategy you've sort of seen them having, it's gone off in another direction. I think, you know, we Moise Keane was scoring goals for Juventus. He comes to Everton and it just stops. He goes to PSG and he's scoring goals again. Um, and I know that that may be down more to the player. Maybe he just wasn't comfortable on Merseyside or he wasn't comfortable on the Everton team or he wasn't give, getting given a go. But we've got to look at how we're bringing the players through as well in terms of, how they're going into the team because I mean I feel like sometimes players aren't given a chance quick enough. Other times they're put into a a situation where you know it's all it's all a bit too fast for them. I mean I think Mil- Mikalenko and Patterson have been thrown at the deep end, but I think they've coped really well. I think there's a really good player in Anana, but we're paying Adrisa Garnagay massive wages to be in the first team every week. So while I don't think Anana's specifically a defensive midfielder. I feel like with Gay in the team, he's a bit of a spare part. So it feels like a lot of the signings we've made have been hampered by other things going on within the team as well. And it just feels like we've never hit that magic formula. And the times that managers do hit the magic formula, something else has gone wrong. Like, for example, I think we were starting to get a really settled team under Marco Silva in his first season. And we had Kurt Zuma at centre-back. And then he went. And then that wasn't replenished. We had Lukaku in Kuman's first season. He left. It wasn't replenished. So mm-hmm. it's almost like managers are coming in. They're sort of seeing, you know, the, the shoots of what they're trying to do. And then Everton are having to cut it away and go, oh, well, we need to see the flowers. And we need to see it all nice, but we're having to cut all this away first. <laughs> and then the managers are being judged and we're saying, like, where's all the lovely colours of the flowers? And it's like, well, you've cut it all away for me. What? How can I make, you know... How can I make the club blossom when you haven't said like deadhead all this other stuff that you've got going on? So and it, it is, it's just, and that's where I feel like Lampard does have his weaknesses, but you need to let him get to the end of what he needs to do. It, it, but again, the nature of football, where Everton are 18th in the table, can you do that? And it just feels like it's a never ending cycle and that Everton are on this vicious circle now. And it's, it's going to be really hard to address it. I do like that analogy with the, the, <laughs> the plants, but I mean, but we're, we're probably not even cutting away at them, are we? It's no. scorched earth. We, yeah, we, exactly. we, 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 
<laughs> we, we we start something and then it just gets completely ripped up and then you, you're looking around the garden going, what the hell happened here? Uh, why is Sam Allardyce here? Uh, <laughs> what's what's going on? I dog turned up and just pissed all over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. It's, but I, and I think it goes back to where we're at now. I think. Sorry, I'm gone. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. now I've got like, yeah. this, uh, an image of uh, Big Sam in his, with his, his side hanging out. Pint of wine. Of, uh, doing some gardening now. He's, uh, he's got the pint of wine out. Haven't they done something? Haven't they broken me? <laughs> you can hear Queen in the background. Uh, <laughs> 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 but that's, a, that's the thing, I think. Where, where we're all at with all of this process, whether it's the stadium, whether it's the team on the pitch, whether it's the boardroom strategy, all of this stuff, I think all we want at this moment in time, as you allude to, Paul, this change is a it's a it's a long term thing. But but you want to see some green shoots, whether that's simple stuff on the pitch being done right, simple stuff like engagement with the fans that isn't on Talksport, just really basic things because we we can dig away at all the mistakes in the transfer market until we're we're blue in the face. There's 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 a lot of them and. We're still hamstrung by some of them today. I mean, we, we, we're playing Southampton at the weekend. Theo Walcott's back fit, so you know what's going to happen there. That's already written. Um, there's probably other players in that Southampton side who we'll probably look at in three years and go, yeah, Carl Walker-Peters, 40 million. We're the only ones in for him. Let's do it. Let's pull the trigger. Um, we've, we've, we've seen it all before, sadly, but I think if we if we could just see some kind of tangible process rather than the one change that tends to be affected at this moment in time is change a manager and even though as you say well football does dictate that sometimes results do matter it's a dreadful run of form we've been on so of course it starts to get spoken about um i i i would really like it if that wasn't where this ends up because even if it gets us a, a, a short-term kind of push up the table, like you say, it's, it's, the cycle's going to repeat itself because we'll bring someone new in, we'll buy their players and then repeat to fade. We need something to shift during this window, during this next run of games that can give us that momentum for the second half of the season um, because last season was was a bit of a freak, wasn't it? And and this season, I think it was spoken about last 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 week it, it feels like a, a kind of slow plod towards the inevitable whereas last season was different it kind of suddenly fell off a cliff after a, a strange appointment and we knew there was always that ace in the hole of yeah but without Rafa there might be something here there's something we just don't really know what that is at this moment in time this is the Toffee Web Podcast this uh, weekend's game is going to have a a, uh, a significant impact on obviously the season and fans' view of Lampard. Um, they're of course gone coming off the back of a win over Manchester City, which is um, uh, great and uh, even more concerning <laughs> that Nathan Jones was up to all hours studying Everton. Um, the way that uh, Deserbia Brighton had clearly prepared for their game. Um, if I were Frank Lampard, I would bear that very much in mind and try and change his approach accordingly because uh, I think if we try and play the same way we did against Brighton, then I think it's probably going to go the same way, um, judging by what you know we saw in with Southampton in the Cup. Um, I think there were enough signs in that performance against Manchester United in the Cup 
that we can obviously cause Southampton problems. Um, but if they try and, and dig in um, and defend, then I think we're going to struggle, um, particularly with our, without our most creative player um, in Alex Awobi. But it, it, I'm just kind of hanging hanging hopes on the fact that we've got a coach welcome. We've got um, a sense of urgency around the club that I hope the players seize on. And, and we just get just they just go all out and and put in one of those high octane performances like they did last season against Leeds and you know at times against Newcastle um, and just just scrap a result out. I don't as, as you said earlier, Adam. I don't care how it happens. You know we just need to get three points. Yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. Scrap it. I think that's going <clears> to. <throat> it feels like the only way we can probably you know probably win at the moment is. I sort of feel, I don't know, just digging in and sort of, you know, just, just fighting for the open with the home crowd. You might get a bit more out of them. We saw flashes against Manchester United, to be fair, not least with the goal, which is disallowed, of good play and, uh, you know, yeah. actually relatively intelligent use of the ball and bringing some of the elements in. You're right, if they sit back, then what do you do? But um, maybe it's a... Maybe it's a uh, a wall of attrition. Maybe it's a bit of a patience game against uh, against Southampton. I hope so. If I think if he, um, not that I hope it's that sort of game, but I hope he doesn't get too impatient and just go, oh, that's it. We've got to go hell for leather here, you know, because we've seen what can happen twice at home already uh, by, 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 by almost trying too hard for the win almost, you know. Um, yeah. I'm worried about this game. Um, I don't know why. I just have a bad feeling about it, um, based on probably the last couple of games, I guess, home games anyway. I don't know. It just, it just feels something so evident about um, we're at home against the team who are bottom of the league and we massively need a win and we lose. And consequently to that, and then it, I just it's looking a little bit ahead to the forecast. It's a windy 40, 40 mile an hour winds at the moment. Rain, horrible sort of day, moody crowd, and you know, Southampton get a foothold in the game. Angry process that just feels like a, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like a, a pleasant day somehow to me. And I'm really hoping that every fight when we hope that I'm wrong. Consequently, to that, I feel at some point sacking a Frank, Frank Lampard feels a little bit inevitable to me right now. And again, I hope that it, it really, you know, back, I think the only way to sort of counter that would be literally back to back wins. We win this one against Southampton and then lose to West Ham. He's right back in that culture and pressure again with Arsenal coming up at home mm-hmm. and the Merseyside Derby coming up. You know what I mean? And um, I just uh, I don't feel good about these um, these next few weeks. I really don't. And I think I'm normally um, I don't know, criticise would be the wrong word, but I'm normally looked as the one of the more glasses half full ones on this pod. And I'm sorry to bring that gloom <laughs> to it, but I can't. Uh, I really don't feel good about it at the moment, and I really hope that I'm wrong with all of that because I don't want Frank to get sacked. I want him to want him to to stay, and I want it to work, and I want Everton to. We've seen the damage it's done. Everton sacking manager after manager and going through manager all these years and spending all this money hasn't where we need that stability. But at the end of the day, if you're not winning any games, and we've only won three of them all season, yeah, you know I mean, and it's you know it's got to be a there's obviously got to be a point. Cause it's a results business at the end of the day, so. Um, I hope you weren't coming to me for any sort of positivity there, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure as well I can't give it you today. <laughs> I was. <laughs> um, yeah, it, but there is a certain sense of inevitability about it, isn't it? They've they've not won a league game under Nathan Jones. They've just come off the back of a really good result midweek um, and a good result in the FA Cup as well. 
they've got bright, buzzy players and they've got James Ward-Prowse who can put a set piece in and they've got a lot of annoying players who, who seem to kind of do all right against the likes of us. I guess the flip side of that is we we beat them at their place um, in October. It was a really good result. We, we, we need goals in this game uh, or... Well, goals would be nice. A goal would be fine if it's if it's the deciding one. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be great. We we might need the likes of Tarkovsky and Cody to really dig in and throw themselves in front of balls like they were doing certainly early in the season more successfully uh, than they have been recently. So, am I am I hopeful? No, not particularly. But it's a must win game, and all the ingredients are there. For this this halfway point of the season, I think Zach alluded to, alluded to it in the interview. It's halfway. We're either out of a relegation zone or we are very firmly entrenched in it um, at this midway point. So the the players who haven't been performing, you don't need any any better motivation really. And and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see who he plays as well because there's obviously the enforced change with Awobi and Patterson. Um, it's going to be interesting what formation he plays. Um, Nathan Jones, I don't know how he'll be feeling after staying up till three in the morning watching us. Uh, God help him. Uh, <laughs> probably hasn't slept since. Um, but I, I think much will depend on what on what we do. Whether we decide to try what we've done in the last few home games and impose ourselves on it very unsuccessfully, or whether we, we try something different with, with the shape. The Manchester United game had some positives, but ultimately we still weren't good enough. So improvement is needed. Um, I'm somewhere probably in between pessimism and optimism. I'm, I'm I'm on the fence. I could see it being a draw, score draw. Well, there's no way Nathan Jones made it past one in the morning because as soon as he got to the point <laughs> with the defenders, we're passing it back between themselves as we needed a goal. Surely he must have not dropped at that point. But no, I think I think this is the game where Frank Lampard and the players show what they're about, show that they're deserving of being at Everton Football Club because I think Lampard especially, I think he's let himself down in the last few weeks with the chopper and changing. He's proved exactly that he knows what the Everton fans want, what they want to see, and I think this is the perfect game for it. And I think the players, I think there's going to be, rather than a, a toxicity, I think the players need to use the intensity of the crowd it's going to be an intense mm. afternoon and it's up to the players. I know there's always this chicken and egg debate about who needs to feed off who. The players are the, the ones who've, you know, whatever's been <laughs> whatever's been angled at the fans recently, it's the players who haven't been able to get the goals and get the wins. So they need to come out the blocks flying to get the crowd on side and use that use that anger and that frustration and turn it into a positive. Because when Goodison is like that and it's a bear pit, we need that. We need the referee as well to make a horrendous decision within the first 10 minutes so that the ire can be <laughs> completely angled on him. But I do, I think, although there is a bit of, you know, there's a lot of negativity around the place, a lot of frustration, I think we can whip it up into being one of those classic sort of wintry afternoons at Goodison. Um Personally, I think I would play 5-3-2. I've seen people have mentioned that if Anthony Gordon's back, they play him right wing back, which I can sort of see. But I think Lampard needs to manage it properly in the sense that Dwight McNeil, unfortunately, he was booed off the pitch in the last game. So for me, this isn't the game for him. No matter what he can bring to the team as a manager, 
you have to manage the situation. Now, some people will think that Evertonians have got a right to boo players. Some people will think it's completely detrimental to the cause. That's that's fine. But at the end of the day, if McNeil isn't on it, he will probably get booed again. Now, I don't agree with that. But that's where Lampard needs to look at the character of his players. Just as much as the tactics, I think. Because I think this this game is that big and there's so much narrative around it in terms of the board and the manager and the players and the results and the relegation zone and the, the whole future of, you know, the whole existence of Everton Football Club. I think he really needs to look at his players and, you know, in the eyes this week and think who's going to stand up and be counted. I think that's key. Um, but I think as well, I think Decore, he needs, if he, if he plays, he needs to be in that advanced midfield position because I think he can really help. And I think Calvert-Lewin or whoever's played as for up front has been far too isolated. So that's where I'd be using Gordon and Mikalenko to go up and down the wings. And I'd have Gray as a second striker just off Calvert-Lewin with the core he supports him. And then you'll have Anana and Gay basically clearing stuff up, tackling anything that moves. And I think I'd probably have Coleman as the, the right centre-back with Cody and Tarkovsky. Because then obviously he can support Gordon as he's going up. But I'm... I mean, Godfrey could probably do that role as well, but I, I think this is what you know. This is where Lampard is really <laughs> earning his money this week and, and proving to Mishery and the board and to the supporters, yeah, I am good enough to manage this football club. You know, this is far more than coaching. This is managing a whole situation of forty thousand people. Yeah, agreed. I think McNeil out, Gordon in, to in for a Wobi. Keep the scene the same, the same, and as you say. Just go for it, yeah. And uh, please, God, three points just to, you know, just get us moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, it'll do for do it for us uh, for now. Uh, to play us out today, something a little different. If you follow us on Twitter, you'll have seen us share from time to time the poems by Yandolf the Blue, who is a very talented wordsmith. And his offering today is both beautifully heartfelt and emotional because of his dad's illness, and it's also a brilliant illustration of what this club means to people. So our best wishes to Yandolf and our thanks for his permission to use this clip. Thanks for listening, Blues. We'll speak to you next week and up the toffees. Oh, Everton, you break my heart. You cause me so much pain. Despite the promises last year, here we are again. We're teetering. We're on the edge. I pray we will not fall. Us fans have given everything. Have you given your all? My father raised me to be loving, to be kind and good and true. But more than this, my old man brought me up to be a blue. My favourite colour, only team, the hope will always win and share the joys with my dad. But how do I begin to understand just what it means? It's more than pain or fun. It's how we built our lasting bond. I am my father's son. He taught me everything he could, forgave me all my wrongs, passing down the classic chants, sharing all the songs that take me back to terraces, the boys crammed in the pen. I close my eyes, see Goodison, there he is again. Every game I've gone to, he's been right by my side and hugged me after every goal and held me when I cried. He's been my rock, my sword and shield, a lighthouse in the storm. He's shown me love in every way, kept me safe and warm. No matter when or where or how, regardless of the cost, he's always been there for me. Without him, I'd be lost. In January of 88, I sat on Grandma's floor, aching for the time to pass so he'd come back through the door. We'd watched the match on telly. We scored. The crowd went mad. I sat amazed and then I spoke my first word, Dad.
So you see, you're more than life or death. You're etched into my soul because my dad remembers every game and lineup, every goal. He's got nearly every programme from the last 100 years to document our love affair, the hope, the hurt and tears. So dare to be like Daniel and you'll never stand alone, loving me his purpose and not afraid to make it known. My father is my hero. I'll shout it long and loud. I hope I am the kind of man who makes my father proud. I follow in his footsteps, both in life and to the game. Without him here beside me, nothing is the same. I need you now to give me strength as his begins to fade. Will you fight and make your fathers proud of how you've played? Will you give your everything like he gave his for me and deserve his lifetime love of Everton FC? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 